I'm sure most of you have heard this past week that Queen Elizabeth died. I did not know much about her, but over the last few days I have heard many wonderful testimonies from believers who knew her. And one tribute uh, about her said that as a humble Christian, she took her earthly vocation seriously, putting the needs of both her office and the people that she ruled before her own. And I pray, we pray, that that would be true of any and all who serve in leadership here at Proclamation, to put the needs of the office and the people that we serve before our own. Every summer here, it's our practice to accept from our members your nominations for men to serve in leadership in the church as our officers, as both elders and deacons, and then every fall, your current officers, current elders and deacons, we follow up on those nominations. Uh, We train these men, we examine these men, and we seek to determine if indeed they are qualified and gifted to serve. And then if we have uh, determined that, we will present them before you uh, for you to vote on them at our congregational meeting in January. You have the opportunity then to vote them into office. And since we're in the middle of that process right now, We invite you to join with with us in prayer toward that end, and perhaps even fasting. Several weeks ago, I preached a sermon on that, and there's a you see in the scriptures where they have a time of prayer and fasting before they lay hands on men and ordain them. So it's something for you to consider, both prayer and fasting during during this time. And then also toward that end, we thought it would be fitting to today take one week to address the issue of church leadership and authority in the church. Before, Lord willing, next week we begin our series in the book of Romans. So today, the issue of church leadership and authority in the church, both how to exercise it and how to respond to it. Now having said that, uh, in today's world we realize that for some of you this may be a very difficult topic. You may have had a bad experience with authority and perhaps specifically church authority in your life. And so you may wonder if all authority structures are bad. If, if any exercise of authority in a fallen world with fallen men tends towards abuse in some way, is it true that power corrupts and that absolute power corrupts absolutely? Well, the world around you may say yes, and your own experience may cause you to feel that way. It may indeed be evidence that authority in the church can be and has been used in abusive ways. And if that is the case, we truly do pray and hope that this place, that proclamation, will be used of God in your life to bring healing that you may need. At the same time, we also believe that God and his word makes it clear that not all authority is abusive. By his grace, it can indeed be used for good, and God himself is the one who gives authority to people. So Romans 13 says, Let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So delegated authority from God to people is God's own idea. But how do we handle that well? How do we receive that from God and exercise it in a way that is pleasing to him? This morning... We'll look at this passage from 1 Peter chapter 5 and ask two questions. How is authority to be exercised in the church? And how are you to respond to authority in the church? 
And we'll see that if we want to do this well, if we want this local church, this family right here to abound in the grace of God, then we must, every one of us, clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. So let's consider that first question. How is authority to be exercised in the church? And you'll notice we're talking more about how this is done, not specifically what elders are called to this morning. But how is authority to be exercised in the church? First Peter 5, verse 2 instructs elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So elders are shepherds. They are pastors who exercise oversight. And God's people are part of a flock that is among them. So just a a couple important things to know in passing. We are not solitary followers of Jesus. We are not lone rangers. God's design is that his people be part of a flock, a local church, in relationship with and under the care of his appointed elders, his appointed shepherds. This is the pattern that we see in the scriptures throughout the New Testament, especially for the people of God for the local church. Well, Peter then goes on to tell us three ways that these elders are not to exercise this oversight. Don't do it this way, he says. Not under compulsion. Not because we have to or because we're forced to. Not for shameful gain. So not for our own good or our own benefit. And then third, not domineering over people. Not abusing our authority. So shepherds are to renounce leading in any way that would exalt themselves. This is how we're not to do it. Instead, they humbly serve for the good, the exaltation of others, willingly, eagerly, being examples to the flock. That was also said of Queen Elizabeth that unlike many heads of state today, she was a person that you could look to, you could point to, and you could say to your children or your grandchildren, when you grow up, you want to be like her. So, beloved, when you nominate someone for office here at Proclamation, you want to be able to say that of them. You want to be able to turn to your fellow members here or to your children and say, you want to be like that person. Watch their life. Imitate their faith. Peter says that elders are to be examples to the flock. They are to serve both willingly and eagerly. So these are, we could say, these are some guardrails for exercising authority in the church. Some guardrails for elders in the church. I don't know if you've ever gone bowling. And at first I was going to say, maybe you've taken your kids bowling before and you get those bumpers in the gutters. But maybe you just do it for yourself when you're out bowling. And, and what do those bumpers do? They, they help you when you roll the ball down the lane and maybe it's veering off towards the gutter, they, they put it back in the lane where it's supposed to be so you don't go home and have a zero score that some of us might have. Well, these, these instructions are like those bumpers. We may start to veer off track in exercising our authority in the church and we're reminded, no, do not do this under compulsion and we're bumped back in to that lane, but willingly. And maybe sometimes we veer off the other way. No, don't do it for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then again, no, don't domineer over those. Don't abuse those under your authority, but be examples to the flock. 
So we have these guardrails that help us serve God's people for their good. But there's one more in this passage. And I would say this is a foundational one. The one that maybe undergirds all the others. So if, if we think of those first three as uh, guardrails, as the bumpers in the gutter while bowling, perhaps we could say this foundational one is like that center track in the antique car ride at Dutch Wonderland or maybe Hershey Park. Maybe some of you children have had the opportunity to drive a car at Dutch Wonderland. Maybe you want to drive. You're waiting to drive. Well, you can do that if you go on one of these rides and you can be in control of the steering wheel. You can control the accelerator and you can do it safely. Why? Because underneath the car, there's that center guardrail. And if you start to turn too far in one way or another, it's between the wheels and the wheel will hit it and keep you on track. That's what we have here in this passage. What's this foundational instruction? We see this guide rail in verse 2. Elders are to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. As God would have you. So God himself has a way for us to do this. He's given us instructions. He's given us the job description. And we're going to turn to the last words of David for some insight into what as God would have you means. So if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel 23. If you didn't, uh, you can turn to the inside cover of our worship guide, and we have this passage printed uh, under our reflections section there. 2 Samuel 23. And that chapter begins by telling us these are the last words of David. Now, these are the last words of David. They're significant. And he says, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men. And that's what we want to do. If we're in a position of authority, we want to do it in a way that is just and right. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. Ruling in the fear of God. That is how... We serve in leadership in the church as God would have us, in the fear of God. This is the foundational guide rail for us. If God has given you authority over others in any way, so if you rule or you lead others in any way, whether it's an elder in the church or maybe a parent in the home or a teacher at school or you have some role in your job, where you supervise others in any way. Or maybe you're a child or a teenager and you have some role in the classroom or on a team or with your friends that puts you over others. And any role that you have in this way, as a follower of Jesus, you are called to serve in that role in the fear of God. In the fear of God. So what does that mean? Or what does that look like? How do we do that? It, it means at least two things. First, it means that elders in the church or those in any authority that you may have, we are to lead, we are to exercise authority in a way that glorifies God. In a way that shows the world what God is like. Specifically, those under us can look at the way we are exercising authority and they can see this is what God is like. The way this person is treating me, leading me, is the way that God would treat me and lead me. And when you do that as you're able to do that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, it's a beautiful thing. Now it will look like and 
feel like the exact opposite of the world's way. It'll look like the exact opposite of abusing authority. Once again, turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Mark chapter 10. And I would encourage you to bring your Bibles with you as we gather for worship. You can follow along in the scriptures, make sure that we are teaching what is in accord with the scriptures. But Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Now, this is a familiar passage to many of you, if you've grown up in the church. Uh, James and John, some of the first followers of Jesus, they want the exalted roles, right? They want to sit at Jesus' right hand and at his left hand in his kingdom. So they're talking about this. They're making this request before Jesus and the other 10 of those first 12 disciples hear about it and they're not too happy. They're not too happy. Hey, wait a minute. We, we want those roles as well. And so Jesus says to them in verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, the Gentiles representing those who do not know God, those who do not follow Jesus, Those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. It's to be different for you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Now, Jesus is giving this instruction, and he uses this title, the Son of Man. Now, remember that title from our study through the book of Daniel? The Son of Man is the high, lifted up, exalted king, the one who is given all dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, have to give an account to God Almighty for how we do that. This is not something that God takes lightly. He is zealous for the glory of his holy name, for the care of his flock, for the ones that he gave the blood of his own son to purchase and to make his own. And so any who serve in leadership in God's church, we must remember that. And we must serve with a sense of fear and trembling, an awareness of this high calling, this serious responsibility that we have been given. And we must do so with absolute dependence upon the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the redemption that we have and we need. Flex his character so that he is indeed glorified and it also for your good to bring fruit and growth in your life. David goes on in that passage in Second Samuel 23 And he says, when you rule justly in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Can you picture that? This kind of leadership is for your good. It brings fruit. It's like a beautiful sunrise. It's like a fruitful growing garden. It's something that you enjoy, something that you're thankful for, something that you share with others. So how is authority to be exercised in the church? Not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, not domineering, but willingly, eagerly being examples to the flock and ruling in the fear of God. So may God in his mercy and grace always bless this church with that kind of leadership. The second question we ask this morning is this. 
How are you to respond to that authority in the church? So that's how it's to be exercised, but now how are you to respond to it? In verse 5, Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, Peter is not saying this only to those who are younger in age. That word in the scriptures can also be used to refer to new, as in a new creation, to those who are new creations in Christ. It can also be used to refer to servants. And Peter here is addressing this official structure of leadership in the church. So when he uses that word younger, he's referring to the rest of the flock or to those who are not elders, the rest of the flock. So how are you to respond to authority in the church? And God's word says that you are to be subject to the elders, to receive their authority as if it is from God himself, to listen, to respect, to follow, to obey. Hebrews 13 makes it very clear. The Bible says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So when those in church leadership exercise their God-given authority in the fear of God, you who are under them are to respond in like manner. In the fear of God, you are to follow their authority, to obey their instructions. For by so doing, you obey and honor God himself. Do you realize that? Just like we teach our children, right, to obey your parents, to honor your parents. And we tell them when you do that, you are obeying and honoring God himself. This is instruction from God's word. So here, when you respond to authority in the church with this submission that God calls you to, you are glorifying God. You are obeying and honoring God himself. And the Bible says this will be to your advantage. It will be for your good for growth in your life, and it will be for the joy of those who serve you in leadership. So make them smile. Don't make them groan. That's what Hebrews is saying. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning. Now, this won't be easy. I probably don't have to tell you that. It won't be easy for at least two reasons. There may be many others, but one reason it won't be easy is because leaders fail. Leaders fail. And you hear about it all the time. Especially, it seems today, there are many stories out there of abusive leadership in the church. So it'll be hard because leaders fail. It'll be hard because even here at Proclamation, even when authority is not abused, we are still sinful men. We don't have perfect wisdom. And so there will be times when we may lead you in a way that you may not agree with and may even not be right. And in those times, you call us to count for it. Because you are to obey God rather than men. So if there's ever a time when we are leading you in a way that is in clear violation of the word of God, you obey God rather than men. So it'll be hard when things like that happen. And actually when things like that happen, then you do not submit to men, you submit to God. But the reason it's so hard then is sometimes you think it's happening when it's not. Because you still sin as well. So it's hard. It's hard to submit in any relationship. Because what does submit mean? It it means to lay aside what you want, 
or what someone else is telling you is good and right and necessary. So that's hard for us to do because we like to do what we want to do. Right? We, when you're a kid and you play King of the Mountain, King of the Hill, you want to be on top. You want to be the one on top of the rock out here at Crayville. You want to be the one at the bottom. Right? It's the same in our hearts. We want to be king of the mountain. We want to be king of our own lives. So it's hard. It's hard for us to submit to the guidance of others, especially when it's the opposite of what we want to do. It's a different idea. It's only by the grace of God that we can do this. It's only by the grace of God that we can exercise authority in the fear of God. And it's only by the grace of God that we can respond to authority in the fear of God. But by God's grace, we can. We can. It's not impossible. It may be hard, but it's not impossible. We can obey God. We can please God. And this is our aim. As followers of Jesus, this is our desire. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who was crucified and who was raised for us. Beloved, our lives, the various roles that we have within them, they're not our own, right? They're not our own choosing. We are here to worship and to serve and to please God. And so, if God puts you over someone in some position of authority, you are accountable to God in how you steward that role. And on the other hand, if God puts you under someone, under their authority, you also are accountable to God and how you steward that role. So whether you are the one with authority or the one under authority, you live for the glory of God. And you can trust his love and his wisdom, his desire for your good, and you are accountable to him. You will give an account. It doesn't matter which role you are given. It matters how you fulfill it, how you steward it, how you serve in it. So whether you exercise authority or whether you are under authority, God's people do so humbly in the fear of God. And this leads us to Peter's closing word to all of us in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, both elders and younger who are to submit to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Our church, our fellowship, our community here, and this local congregation, this family, it will thrive under humility. Our spiritual lives, our spiritual health will flourish when we live in humility with one another. It will wither and die under pride. Pride will destroy it. It will breed conflict. God opposes the proud. Pride is a sign of spiritual sickness. And so we must put pride to death, fight against it, and seek to cultivate humility among all of us toward one another. And one way to cultivate humility is to consider and follow examples. And I want to close by giving you two examples of humility that we could follow. I'll start again with one last story about Queen Elizabeth. And this was told by another PCA pastor. So another PCA pastor once had the honor of touring Uh, the UK Parliament, with a man who knew its history far better than he did. And so he asked him, what's the craziest story 
that you've ever heard. And the story did not disappoint him. And this man told them that every, and some of you may know this, every legislative session begins with a visit from the queen. It's a very regal tradition. She wears her crown and robe, and she marches down a hallway lined with the queen's guards. They're standing on either side as she marches between them. And at the end of the hallway, she comes to the House of Lords where the queen will take her seat on the throne. There's this grand staircase that leads to this hallway. And so as the queen got older, it became too much for her to climb up these stairs each time. So they decided to use the elevator for her to get up. And the first year they they did this, a mistake was made. The lift operator accidentally pushed the wrong button. I know when my kids were little, they loved to push the buttons in the elevators, right? You got to make sure you push the right button. Well, this lift operator didn't. Pushed the button for the wrong floor. So instead of going up to the entrance to Parliament, he pressed the button for the maintenance floor. So the lift goes up and the doors open and Alice from the cleaning crew with her head down like she normally does, here's the ding, the door's open, she pushes her cleaning cart into the elevator as she's done countless times. Only this time, she has inadvertently pinned the Queen of England to the back of the small lift. And the doors close behind her and Alice is stuck in the lift with the Queen and her guard and she looks up and she lets out a choice word that is not fit for the presence of royalty. And there's this awkward silence and it's only broken by the Queen's joyous laughter trying to put her at ease. And so... She also then gives a most remarkable invitation. So instead of just opening the doors and letting Alice off, the queen asked the lift operator to just take them to the proper door, the proper floor. And so they go up and the doors open and to everyone's shock, out walks not just Queen Elizabeth, but Queen Elizabeth and Alice, the maintenance worker, walking side by side down the royal hallway. The queen's kindness and her humility towards Alice was wonderful, but it didn't end there. After that, every year, once a year, Alice would receive an invitation for high tea with her newfound friend, the Queen of of England in Buckingham Palace. Can you imagine? What a wonderful story. What a great example of humility, of ruling in the fear of God for the good of others. But beloved, we have an even greater example. We have a much greater example. Verse 4, Peter says, When the chief shepherd appears, we will receive the crown of glory. And so, beloved, we enjoy friendship with not the Queen of England. As great as that would be, but with the king of kings. And not simply once a year, but for all eternity. Why is that? That's because the chief shepherd, the one who reigns over all, is also the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And think of it, he did not accidentally bump into a lower level worker. He purposefully sought you out with intentionality 
He humbled himself and he came not for those who worked for him, but for those who rebelled against him. And he didn't simply give up one afternoon of tea with us, no, beloved, while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, he willingly, with joy, died for us, gave his life for us. Beloved, this is the greatest example of humility ever known to man. And not only can it raise you up out of death into everlasting life, but by God's power, You are called and you are enabled to walk in his steps and to follow his example. So let us close by hearing these familiar words from Philippians chapter 2. One last time, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And hear these words from verses 4 through 11. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And beloved, hear again the humility, the love of your Savior, the King of Kings. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, this is our common aim. Whether we exercise authority or whether we submit to authority, that we, each one of us, and all people everywhere would bow to the authority and the glory and the beauty and the kindness and goodness of our Creator, our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ, to the glory of our Father in heaven. And so, beloved, may we indeed clothe ourselves, every single one of us, with humility towards one another. Amen.